Welcome to the Gutsy Wellness Podcast, where health empowerment meets heartfelt conversations. I'm your host, Dr. Mandy Patterson, functional naturopath and fertility expert. Each episode of the Gutsy Wellness Podcast is a journey through the most pressing health topics of our times, viewed through the lens of functional naturopathy and emotional empowerment. So get ready to get gutsy with me as we hop into today's podcast topic. Hi, welcome back to the show today. I'm so excited that you're here, and we are going to be building on the last episode in discussing the history of naturopathic, allopathic, and functional medicine. I wholeheartedly believe in people being educated and informed on the foundations of health and being given healthcare options weighing all the pros and cons. In order to make informed decisions, it is helpful to have an understanding of history and how medicine has evolved over centuries and especially the last hundred years, as it explains the crossroads we are currently at as a society. According to Benedict Lust, the father of naturopathy and one of the original founders, stated, naturopathy is a distinct school of healing, employing the beneficent agency of nature's forces of water, air, sunlight, earth power, electricity, magnetism, exercise, rest, proper diet, various kinds of mechanical treatment, and mental and immoral science. In most cases, none of these agents can cure every disease alone, but when used together or in synergy with one another, health can be created. This is where a naturopath or functional medicine practitioner can use their best judgment and recommend a combination of foundational lifestyle tenets that are best suited to an individual person. Naturopaths and functional medicine practitioners are very much alike and believe in many of the same principles. A key difference is that traditional naturopaths believe in natural approaches generally, whereas functional medicine practitioners do believe that conventional medicine does have a place and can be considered as a modality when needed. But I'm going to be honest with you. Many practitioners of naturopathic and functional backgrounds land somewhere in the middle and do believe that preventative and root cause medicine is the best approach and there can be a happy medium with using naturopathic and allopathic principles in the treatment of disease and dysfunction. As discussed in the last podcast episode, Americans excel in emergency medicine and life support. We have mastered the art of keeping people alive after traumatic injuries, accidents, or infections, but preventative medicine in this country needs serious help. In the approach towards high blood sugar levels in conventional medicine, metformin is frequently prescribed pharmaceutical that is a go-to to drive down blood sugar levels, especially in those with type 2 diabetes. However, from a naturopathic standpoint, naturopaths would be more inclined to go the plant route and use foundational medicine such as berberine an herb to drive down blood sugar levels. Ironically, berberine has been shown to be as powerful in its mechanisms as the pharmaceutical metformin. It is important to note that most functional medicine practitioners are initially trained as conventional medical providers, but due to their own professional experience over the years and or personal health crises, recognize that holistic tenets and approach to disease and dysfunction are necessary when paired with conventional medicine for superior care. Although naturopathy is based upon several key principles, 
The foundational one is the Hippocratic Oath of First Do No Harm. Honestly, this is the very same oath that conventional medical providers take as their code of ethics. Naturopaths practice and believe in the healing power of nature, and this belief includes the concept that the body can heal itself of just about anything if it is cleared of toxins and given proper rest, nutrition, movement, and mental and emotional support. It truly is mind-body-spirit approach. Naturopaths also acknowledge that no healthcare professional can know everything there is to know about human health, including side effects and natural reactions, and when in doubt, suggest the most natural approach possible. Naturopaths ultimately believe that prevention is the best cure, and when given the right foundations, the body, in effect, can cure itself. They identify as facilitators and strive to get to the root cause of health issues by eliminating toxins, optimizing nutrition, decreasing stress, and boosting the body's own natural healing abilities in nature. They believe that each individual is ultimately responsible for making decisions about his or her health and do not prescribe treatments for disease. Instead, they educate and inform those that they work with on natural health and the modalities that can be used to restore balance in the body. Unfortunately, not everyone is ready for the naturopathic approach, and with most people, they try many things in conventional medicine before they arrive at the conclusion that they might need to try a different holistic approach. Mm. And let's be honest, we are a quick-fix society and take a pill for every ill. Unfortunately, establishing optimal health takes time an effort on the participant's end. And we all know, Rome was not built in a day. Let's discuss an example of a conventional medical approach versus a naturopathic approach to low thyroid function or hypothyroidism. So, suppose someone has symptoms of mild hypothyroidism and has low thyroxine concentrations or T4 thyroid. Generally, the medical model tends to conclude that since the thyroxine levels are suboptimal, then the thyroid is not capable to produce enough thyroxine on its own. The medical doctor will recommend or prescribe a synthetic or natural version of thyroxine. This chemical will raise serum thyroxine levels and in many cases may improve symptoms associated with hypothyroidism. Unfortunately, the root cause was not determined which could have been excess stress, nutritional deficiencies, and or toxins, and is usually a confluence of all the above. By taking the thyroid hormone, the anterior pituitary will sense the serum thyroxine levels are higher and it will secrete less of the thyroid-stimulating hormone. The thyroid will receive less stimulation to produce thyroid on its own, and this indeed can lead to thyroid atrophy. This is one of the reasons that many who take thyroid medications have to remain on them for life. The hormone never fixes the thyroid and it only replaces some of its function. Because the thyroid produces other hormones, such as calcitonin, it is possible that other functions may run suboptimal over time as well. It is important to note that when taking drugs or pharmaceuticals, it may attempt to fix one problem but many times there is a trade-off as it can negatively impact other tissues and organ systems. For instance, there has been a major medical debate on whether or not taking thyroxine or T4 increases risk for osteoporosis. In this same case, let's look at this case from the holistic lens 
that aims to get to the root cause of disease and dysfunction in the body. A naturopath, and in many cases with a functional medicine practitioner, assumes that the thyroid can heal itself if it has the building materials or blocks needed, such as vitamins, minerals, peptides, enzymes, or even, say, reduced caffeine intake. There are many naturopathic interventions that can be used. However, the naturopath may make the recommendation for the individual to lower stress in their life, incorporate more fruits and vegetables into their diet, and consume more kelp. Kelp is a herbal food and has a variety of natural chemicals in it, including iodine. By boosting iodine, this nourishes, fuels, and strengthens the thyroid, and by getting to the root cause, does not result in atrophy of the thyroid gland. So the question is, why do many people not know about the benefits of naturopathic or even functional medicine? And why are there so few naturopaths and functional medicine practitioners around, especially in the United States currently? Why have they been regarded as quacks or the fringe of alternative medicine that people turn to when they have exhausted all of the conventional medical paths? These are all perplexing questions given the dismal state of our current medical system and epidemic of sick people, right? And this is where you have to do a bit of a deep dive back into history over a century ago, in fact. In 1910, the Flexner Report was set into motion and played a pivotal role in changing the standard approach in face of healthcare. Abraham Flexner, an educator and graduate of John Hopkins University, was hired by the Carnegie Foundation for the Advancement of Teaching to assess and measure the standards of all 155 American and Canadian medical schools. It was thought that Flexner was doing philanthropic work for the Carnegie Foundation and the schools gave him access to information and observations that would have been off limits had there been full disclosure of what he was really doing. His report was severely critical of many colleges and they ended up closing after it was published. While the Flexner report was credited with standardizing and improving medical education and led to a reduction in fraud and dangerous claims in the medical arena, Power, control, and greed led to a gradual shift away from self-doctoring or home remedies and advocating for oneself to the more passive patient-recipient model seen today. As secretary to the Rockefeller Foundation's General Education Board from 1913 to 1928, Flexner ended up channeling more than a half a billion dollars into the improvement of American medical education. While Flexner's work did add standardization and improvements to medical education, many colleges did not meet the mark and ended up closing. Flexner directed Rockefeller and other philanthropic funders to a select group of medical schools. By 1915, the schools in operation had decreased by 95, and in 1928, just 70 school, 76 schools remained. By 1918, only one eclectic or integrative focused school in Cincinnati and one homeopathic school in Philadelphia remained. The orthodox schools that included homeopathic, natural, or eclectic therapeutics phased out that curriculum to comply with trends in scientific medicine and more of a pharmaceutical approach. In direct response to the Flexner Report and new licensing laws, the naturopathic journal of the day established the Department of Medical Freedom, which was devoted to, 
to defending the right of U.S. citizens, especially members of the military, to choose their healing methods and their practitioners. Medical freedom, as quoted by the journal, meant living without interference from medical dictation and avoiding the tyranny of the medical trust that has already succeeded in trampling upon these rights. The column was also a response to enforce vaccination of military personnel. As culture wars raged on amongst the holistic and allopathic professions, and radical changes were made in the approach to the training of medical doctors and healthcare practitioners, patent medicine and whole remedies became shunned by the allopathic profession. Ironically, during the 17 and 1800s, women were deemed domestic medical guides and medicinal recipes were passed down through the generations. Treatments and remedies were prescribed by women through oral and written traditions that were learned through time and experience. As part of the overarching agenda, Allopaths wanted to regulate the production and prescription of all remedies, and public opinion shifted toward the sole acceptance of the MD as the medical expert when patients receive medications only from them. While the American Medical Association set out to improve and streamline medical education, they did much to discredit the holistic health professions and curb the sale of quack cures. A budding new relationship and business venture began between pharmaceutical companies and allopathic doctors at that time. Alliances were forged between doctors and pharmaceutical companies that bolstered the allopathic doctor model and pharmaceuticals. As we pause and reflect back on this history, it becomes very clear now we have arrived at this impasse or crossroads in healthcare presently. The COVID pandemic has given each of us a glimpse into the level of political corruption, corporate greed, and medical monopoly that overtook the entire world. If you are awake, you can see through the panacea promises of germ theory and drugs. In September of 2023, the U.S. News and World Report published a report on the U.S. ranking number 23 for its public health system, which is a backslide by two from its initial ranking in 2022. Despite having the most expensive healthcare system, the U.S. ranks last overall when compared to six other industrialized countries, including Australia, Canada, Germany, the Netherlands, New Zealand, and the United Kingdom. Our life expectancy is currently dropping in this country with an average of 76.4 years, which is the shortest it has been in nearly two decades. So the question of the century is, where do we go from here? Is there a way that medical and healthcare professionals can unite and come to some common middle ground on optimizing health and well-being for society? As a visionary, I do feel that there is a way we can disrupt and dismantle the current system and co-create something better. And I'm currently doing this in my own practice through my, my group coaching programs, including the Wild Collective, a five-month women's program, curriculum, and sisterhood that teaches you about your physiology, educates you on the tests and natural treatment options that you can talk to your healthcare provider about. For my couples looking to optimize their fertility, my partner, Dr. Jeannie, and I will be launching our three-month Positivity Fertility coaching program in spring of 2024. And I'm currently working on a comprehensive membership model 
that will serve as a hub for those I educate and serve from a holistic standpoint. So as we look to the future, I do believe that community medicine and group coaching models are key to meeting women's needs. The primary role of community medicine is to decrease the burden of preventable disease by addressing the root cause or detecting disease in its early stages, and this is desperately needed in our current medical model. You made it to the end of the episode. Let's keep this gutsy wellness party going with some next steps to empower you along your wellness journey. In the show notes for this episode, you'll find a choose your own adventure list of links that will guide you from where you go next, from fertility and hormone success guides to the gutsy wellness membership to in-depth blog posts and discovery calls. You'll find everything you need to take your next gutsy step. Until the next episode, have an awesome, empowered day.